but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. These are truly unprecedented times in life and in tennis right now. Just last week, we were discussing the decision to cancel Indian Wells. A lot of people in tennis were saying that it was rash, that they pulled the trigger too quickly. And now, I mean, it's a totally different world. That, That was just a week ago. Right. So eight days later... Many North American cities are under lockdown. In Toronto, uh, restaurants and bars are completely closed unless they do takeout. Most companies are working from home, if able. We apply to both those categories. I'm currently out of work and you're working from home. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So in the coming weeks, I anticipate a lot of us will be in isolation. Our, Our goal and our job as the body serve is to continue to provide you with content to make you laugh, to offer a diversion, and hopefully just have some fun. Mm -hmm. This episode, we will start by talking a little bit about what's been happening in tennis over the last week. But the majority of the episode will center on a bit of a a TBS rewind, uh, a revisiting of some of our earlier stuff. We went through the archives, and we landed on doing two episodes this being the first of them where we uh, maybe i don't want i don't want to call it our greatest hits right it's stuff that we enjoyed put it that way and stuff that we think represent the show in a close to a full way right Mm -hmm. so if somebody were to be listening to the body serve for the first time or ask you well hey what how's that show you know how what what is it like You can point to these two episodes and then they'll get a a decent idea. Right. Warts and all. Yeah. (laughs) There is some stuff, um, particularly on the next episode, that I'm not actually that proud of. So I'll save that. I haven't even told you about that. Hmm. But um, yeah, so it's kind of a look back at where we've come from. Some of it's going to sound a bit rough because we were younger less experienced, less technically experienced with doing a podcast. And certainly a bit looser as far as the things we allowed ourselves to say Mm -hmm. on recorded audio. (laughs) This episode will be lighter fare. It'll be the funnier moments, whereas the next episode we'll present some of the more serious issues that we've dealt with over the years. So let's get the recent tennis news out of the way. First, the ATP announced that it was taking the next six weeks off. The WTA was not really part of that consultation or announcement. They kind of rolled out their plan a bit slower. Right now, they've committed kind of tournament by tournament. And now it's five five weeks, I think, officially. They're, they're both off officially up until roughly the same time. They've just gone about it in different ways. We all kind of knew they would end up there together eventually (laughs) because really like the writing's been on the wall well i say that but it really has only been a week (laughs) but it's felt like months 
frankly. Yeah, but the World Health Organization has proclaimed that Europe is now the center of this pandemic. Things are actually looking like they're progressing in China, South Korea, and Japan, and Europe is where the serious problems are at the moment. And very soon it'll be in the United States and Canada. I mean, it's already here, but it will get more and more serious as the weeks go on. So to me, it's kind of, it's weird to even say, oh yeah, tennis is off for six weeks, because most likely it'll be off for way longer than that. Mm -hmm. So we already got this taste of what we already knew, right? That there's so many different governing bodies in tennis that so rarely work together or try and look out for the other's best interest. It's mm-hmm. a every man for himself kind of situation in tennis. We got that with the ATP WTA kind of rollout. Disparate separate, right? Now today, we we heard murmurs and rumors that maybe a decision on the French Open was coming soon. Because really, most of the lead-up tournaments had already been cancelled. Are these players just going to roll up to Paris and just play the French Mm. Open. You know, that was one of the things that folks have been thinking about. Instead, today, we get an announcement from the French Open that they're they're just going to move the tournament to a week after the U.S. Open. So it'll be the U.S. Open and the French Open in back-to-back slams, essentially. Mm -hmm. Really within the same month. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The same five weeks. End of September to early October. That's when they want to hold it. Mm. And... It's it's wild. It appears that this decision was made with little to no consultation with the other governing bodies in tennis. The Players' Council of the ATP seemed caught unawares, considering that Vashek Pospisil was tweeting about it today, and he's on the Players' Council. Uh, Bernard Giudicelli did let us know that Rafael Nadal was notified in advance, which is like... Talk about the caste system in tennis, right? So you notified who? The Federation made this decision to move it. They notified Rafael Nadal, and it's unclear who else. <laughs> if there is one person to notify, you could argue it's him. You're a 12-time champion, and the man who will then have to try and defend the U.S. Open and the French Open in back-to-back weeks, essentially, at the end of the year. Right, but obviously this is ridiculous. Yes. Like... I suspect within a few days, this segment might be moot. You know, this might not stand. John Wertheim was tweeting today that he has uh, some anonymous sources saying that the French Open's approach was to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. So they they were going to barrel ahead regardless and deal with the consequences, as obviously they knew there would be consequences and fallout to this announcement. One of the things that's happened subsequent to this announcement this morning was an almighty clapback from the U.S. Open. They just issued this statement before we went to air, titled USTA Statement on U.S. Open Schedule. The USTA is continuing to plan for the 2020 U.S. Open and is not at this time implementing any changes to the schedule. These are unprecedented times, though, and we are assessing all of our options including the possibility of moving the tournament to a later date. You get to that point and you're like, oh, okay, I guess everybody's just going to do that. But then they go on to say, at a time when the world is coming together, we recognize that such a decision should not be made unilaterally, and therefore the USTA would only do so in full consultation with the other Grand Slam tournaments, the WTA and ATP, 
the ITF and our partners, including the Labour Cup, because this French Open is now scheduled to occur concurrently with the Labour Cup. Mm-hmm. Ask me if I care. Do you care? No. Was that a rhetorical question? Yes. Okay. The Labour Cup is holding on with a pinky finger as an official ATP tournament, okay? The issue is that this is conflicting with Wuhan, Tokyo, St. Petersburg, Seoul, a bunch of tournaments on both the ATP and WTA that nobody seemed to know are either off or they're going to be messed with, basically. But remember we talked in our last episode that Sven Gunfeld had suggested that Indian Wells could move into those Asian tournament slots. Yes. Like it was yes. no big thing. You know, like all these tournaments, it's clear, are viewing the fall swing and the Asian tournaments and the events that come after the U.S. Open as fair game, as built on quicksand. You can sink them easily and nobody will blink an eye. Right. People are out here chuckling on Twitter about playing a tennis tournament in Wuhan. But listen, they're probably going to be ready before Paris. Mm-hmm. Let's be totally honest. Now check out the press release from the French Federation, though. This makes me laugh. This decision was made in the interest of both the community of professional tennis players, whose 2020 season has already been compromised, and of the many fans of tennis and Roland Garros. This is a quote from Judicelli. Quote, we have made a difficult yet brave decision in this unprecedented situation. Unprecedented in caps. Brave? Uh, brazen is the correct word. Maybe that's a bad translation. <laughs> they, I just, they probably meant to say brave. You know, we're making light of this, but the whole thing is just annoying. You have two Grand Slams fighting each other in public like a soap opera. You have the French Federation pretending that they're putting players' best interests at the forefront, which is obviously a lie. You can see it in the evidence. Everybody just, like, chill. Like, it is such transparent self-interest. And it's clear that in tennis, the Grand Slams do really whatever they want. Tours be damned. Yeah, it's about their bottom line. It's about their money. It's like when I receive a notice from my corporate restaurant job saying that they're making these decisions with the best interest of us and guests in mind, when in fact it's clearly transparent that you're only and solely protecting your financial pocket and that's your bottom line. Right. Like, we're not stupid here. If it were in the employee's best interest, there would be paid time off, no questions asked. Point that, blank, that's, period. That's the way capitalism works. Right. <laughs> Let's not have any illusions or delusions about it. Yeah. I work in HR, and I can appreciate uh, how uncomfortable that kind of messaging is. But the truth is, you know, from the company's perspective, what they really want to say is, We're protecting our revenue and trying to limit cash flow in these difficult times for us. Go apply for unemployment, babe. That's that's what it is. And we're trying to keep everything just simmering under a boiling point so that this shit doesn't go public. We don't catch a bad PR rap. Y'all are not atting us on Twitter, calling (laughs) us out in these streets where we have to go do some PR damage. Yeah. Bottom line, this whole thing is a mess. It highlights just how disparate... The tennis world is. Nobody's really out here working together. That, that's mm. the biggest takeaway for me in all of this. And at this point, after Indian Wells had initially said, we're going to try and move this tournament later on in the year, Roland Garros saw that and said, fuck that, I'm going to try and get that spot before you can. 
they clearly assessed the schedule and said like this is the prime real estate we're going to do this without consulting anybody else so that we can get ahead of them mm. that, that's what that's all it is all right so this episode we wanted to be very lighthearted. so you know forget the first 10 minutes of the show we want to look back at what we've done in the past five years since january 5th 2015 i think our first episode was called a formal education it opened with a wonderful line reading from you quoting the boy you really can't find that word can you like there's so many you could choose quoting the legendaric that's one <laughs> not really a word but the legendary exchanges between Martina Ingus and Serena Williams at the 1999 US Open. As he just shifted there mm-hmm. from having to describe Martina and instead captured their oral rivalry. Mhm. Very deft. Well, I don't what are you talking about? I thought you were trying to find a word to describe Martina. No. The, okay. I was talking about the exchanges between okay, the okay, two. Okay. Okay. That's what our original opening referenced. Yes, that's correct. What are some of the things that stuck out to you listening back to a lot of the earlier episodes? Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a lot rougher around the edges. And I was surprised because I remember being very nervous and uncomfortable about doing a podcast. And I th- I thought it sounded worse than it did. At and the it, time. And and even now. Like I, I went back and listened and I was like, oh, these are actually better than I remember them being. Because I was kind of afraid to go back and listen. What do you think? I agree. I think or it's for us, because we are editing these episodes, the thing that stuck out to me most is just how different our editing skills were then. There mm. are way too many you knows, way too many likes, which we still have them. But in the early episodes, it's just entirely mm. too many. But now, sometimes I'll leave them in for effect. If I find it changes the cadence of a sentence to take it out, I'll leave it in. Sure, but that's an active decision you're making now. We were not making those decisions back then. (laughs) I was struck by how slow it was. You know, I wanted wanted everything to pick up speed when I was listening. To this day, that's still something that you are always concerned about. Yeah. You'll come home after listening to an episode that I've edited and you're like, it was just way too slow. You You need to shorten it up. You need to cut out a lot of those breaks. When in fact, they're milliseconds or seconds, right? I know, right? but they, it feels like dead air, you know. One thing I noticed also is that my Great Lakes accent was a lot stronger back then. By which I mean those hard O's like in dollar and socks. Rochester. Uh, Rochester. Well, I've been in Canada longer now and I've actively tried to fix it. Hmm. So this is uh, like an upstate New York, Rochester, Buffalo kind of nasally accent that i have that i've actually i'm conscious of and i've tried to work on because i get made fun of at work for it by people who are uh deft enough to hear the difference for the longest time i would not even think about going back and listening to those first season episodes in particular because i didn't want to know what i said i figured it would have been a lot more loose and irreverent and disrespectful to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm pleased (laughs) that there's nothing really that I heard. I didn't listen to every episode. But I'm pleased that there's not not many things that really makes me cringe. That may change next episode when you bring what it is that you're going to bring that you say you can't deal with. No, it was really more me. Okay. I think it's better to know 
if we've said something fucked up, I I would like to know that it's out there because we've never deleted an episode. You know, all of our work is out there, even the stuff that we don't feel super great about. Anyway, let's get into it. So what we're going to actually do is present some of those audio segments and clips from previous episodes and then maybe chat about them for a little bit. We actually went back, pulled up all of these episodes and snipped the clips and we're going to do some more stitching mm. on this episode. It's an exercise in editing for us on this episode. Right. You remember when sitcoms used to do clip shows? Like the Golden Girls used to go back and feature clips from previous episodes. Sometimes they even included original stuff. The Simpsons did it and sort of made fun of how lazy the whole exercise was, which was funny because all their animation was new. This was actually a lot of work. I was hoping, you know, it would be easy. <laughs> I thought these episodes were supposed to be lazy, but it actually took a lot of work, probably more than a regular episode. The first one, and remember these are light-hearted clips, the first one is courtesy of Sergei Stakovsky from the US Open in 2015. And if you recall, at that time, Sergei Stakovsky was embroiled, embattled with the LGBT lobby in sport who were taking him to task for all manner of fucked up things that he had said about gay people in tennis. And this segment deals with gay players in the locker room. Now, if I can redirect to Stakovsky, yes, please. Uh, he did really drop this gem that I don't think we'll forget anytime soon. There's been a lot of locker room talk around the US Open, which I've really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, we're all men in the locker room, we're naked, going to the shower, and if someone were gay, something would be different, right? Something would fall out. What would <laughs> fall out? Their boner? And I'm like, Their erection? I don't like, understand. Oh my lord, he's really talking about boners right now. Yes! <laughs> so, and he also said that he believes that one can simply sense if a person and we is have gay. a sense of these things in the locker room. Yeah. I'm wondering what Stikowski's gaydar is like. It's like this Game of Thrones council where they meet every week to speak about the gay agenda. <laughs> and who, who is possibly... Who did or did not have an erection in the shower? Who was looking extra hard at Feliciano oh Lopez as he en entered the showers this week? Yeah, that's the other little bon mot I wanted to talk about. Because <laughs> this came out the same time as Boris Becker talked about how everybody's looking at Feliciano as he goes into the shower. And not even looking, but it takes their breath. Yeah, they're <laughs> breathless. I mean, Feliciano is so gorgeous that these straight men are literally dumbfounded watching him walk into the this shower. This is Zeus just walking around in <laughs> ATP locker rooms. Oh my god. Thank you, Boris, for this stuff, really. <laughs> and we'll get to your saber comments later. But back to you, Stakovsky, because I'll have you know that the, the locker room is actually a terrifying place for most gay men because the fear it of is, being yeah. found out and being caught looking when they shouldn't be looking is something that drives a lot of gay men insane with paranoia. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine, it's actually the opposite of exciting. Yeah, it's you know? a... It's not like this big gay bathhouse. No, it's actually you're imagining a, it to be a very fraught and terrifying place in some in some cases. And think about it. If you think that 
you know, this is supposed to be some gay mecca where gay men are just frothing. Oh, God. <laughs> Ugh. Perhaps not the best choice of word, <laughs> but, you know, that they're so excited to be in these locker rooms so they can look at, mind you, they wouldn't be looking at Stakowski's bits, no matter how good a job his hairdresser did. Mm-mm-mm. But <laughs> if you think that that's the reason why that's how you'll be able to tell gay men, why haven't we seen any more? Mm. Like, they're there, right? They have to be there. Right. So the reason is that because it's not a very welcoming and comfortable place for gay men to be. It's it's as simple mm-hmm. as that. The logic is just very flawed. And I just, I wonder why he feels so confident saying that there are no gay men in the top. Now it's the top 128, yeah. you know. How do you know? Because he's inspected everybody's boner level. <laughs> Everybody. Is there like like an apparatus that measures that sort of thing? Or is it just an eye test? Like, is a semi okay? Like, oh are you God. still straight if you have a semi? Like, do you have to have we like... Have, we have got to stop because this is a family show. <laughs> uh, specifically, our family. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just absurd. And this idea that because he's backtracked and said things that are more welcoming of gay people and things that aren't overtly homophobic doesn't negate what he said before, nor does it negate the fact that he's contributed to a climate of homophobia that would make it unwelcoming for gay people to come out in the future. Right. Yeah, that's the important bit is that he says, I don't believe a gay player would be discriminated against, but you've really created the conditions in which they would I don't think he's created, unsafe. but he's definitely perpetuating okay. it. Okay, yes. He's contributed yeah. to a climate that's maybe less welcoming than we'd hope, you know? Because you're using words like the ATP tour and the locker room is a normal place. Mm-hmm. You're immediately casting gay people as abnormal. Right. And by you then saying that, you know, we wouldn't have a problem means nothing. Mm-hmm. As if there haven't been gay people in athletics since the freaking ancient Olympics. Like, and before that, it probably in cave times. You know? <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about the U.S. Open. No, not yet. <laughs> Why? This is, we're going to issue two fuck yous of the week this week. Because this fuck you of this episode is going to Sergei Stakovsky. Well earned. I feel like he'll be in the Hall of Fame of fuck yous soon. Because we are gay dogs with this bone and we ain't letting it go. (laughs) (laughs) And gay dogs deserve love too. (laughs) Well, what the language? Oh my god. Frothing at the mouth. Why did you say that? You said that. I was so (laughs) embarrassed. Can you tell that I was like, I was actually turning red even though we're here recording it alone? I was thinking of the people I know who will listen to this. Oh, my stars. I do have to explain that that quip that I made about Stakovsky's hairdresser, in the minutes that preceded that clip, you made a joke about all the gay people that Stakovsky knows in his life that he can call upon as evidence of him not being homophobic. Right. Well, because he did that. Yeah. The whole business of, I have a black friend. Well, I have a gay friend. I have a gay hairdresser. I have a... I think you said... Uh, I'm a guy who bakes me pastries and he's gay. <laughs> okay. We should have mentioned at the top of this episode that there should be a parental advisory on it. Because there, there, there is, is. going to be more profanity than normal. 
Listen, if you listen to this on iTunes or whatever, it has explicit content on it. Really? It does. Oh, wow. It's been that way, not always, but I made that change mm-hmm. years ago. Do you remember when they used to start putting that on CDs in stores? I was not allowed to buy any parental advisory CDs until I was like You were like in two, high school. You were like two years old when that happened. No. Isn't that what um, Tipper Gore did in the 80s? She's no. responsible yeah, for that. Yeah, but she wasn't first lady until 93. No, but that's what she did. Really? It was from the oh. 80s. I, I'm misremembering, I guess. There's nothing to remember because you were two. <laughs> Fine. I'm a lot younger than you, so I clearly would not remember. I hope that this doesn't have to be edited out and that I can actually say that I know something more about your history than I than, than you mm-hmm. do. Well, yeah, you better like research that before you get on your pedestal over there. I'm interested to hear this next bit because you've listened to it. You selected it. I haven't yet. I know we did a Tennis Divas episode. Take it away. Okay, well, this part isn't really... This is just a very short clip that will prove to you that back in 2015 or whenever we did this, I did not value my life. (laughs) You know, first of all, Beehive, just stop with the dogma, okay? Like, stop with the orthodoxy. Because I... (laughs) I'm technically part of the Beehive, but... Not technically, you are a card-carrying member. I am, but I'm willing to you know, show some, uh, like, critical thinking skills. Oh, my God. You know? Okay, all I can say is I was getting very poor legal advice back then, and I apologize and take back everything I said about the beehive because I love my life and I'd like to survive. They have no critical thinking skills. I don't know who would ever say that, but I can assure you that I must have been doing drugs or something. I just don't understand. You're usually so reserved and buttoned up. There was context. Which but it, was? it was too complicated and too annoying. Now's your time. Give us a brief synopsis. You just put yourself on trial. Are you saying that the, the hive are quick to check a bitch? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And to quote Barbara Walters, I am that bitch mm. that she's singing about. I didn't know that she sang. I thought she <laughs> rapped or whatever. <laughs> We were, it was in the context of our Tennis Divas episode where we were assigning uh, a famous pop diva to tennis players. And we did a whole long thing about how Serena had a lot in common with Mariah. And I don't, I don't think, I think we also compared her to Beyonce. Yeah, we, because there we are said a lot she was of, a bit of both. Right, like a hybrid. But somehow we got into the idea that neither is impervious to criticism. Mm. And you mentioned something about Beyonce's ballad, Listen. And I said, well, that's not really peak Beyonce. And that I don't know how we got there. But I will never slander the queen, the king. Publicly. Publicly, ever. You this do was, it privately. Well, not, not even, really. If anything, I am more dogmatic than I was back then. Also, this was before Lemonade came out and the world changed. My world changed. What is your next clip? Set it up. So I found a bunch of the Divas clips funny. A lot of them were a bit too long to include. So I featured one about Maria Sharapova, and I could not remember who we matched up with Maria. And I was pleasantly surprised to hear how we talked about it. It's not so much who this person is being compared to, it's why. And so I need you to tell us why 
Maria Sharapova is Diana Ross. Miss Ross. Well, I think this is perfect. Is it because and Maria can, is the boss? No. You can come for me if you want, but I mm-hmm. think this is perfect. So, Miss Ross is, well, let's not beat around the bush. She is a renowned bitch. <laughs> I feel like she's hired entire PR teams to try and debunk that, you know? I Oh, she most definitely has. Um, and, you know, Maria is not exactly a teddy bear. But there's something about her that is so absolutely magnetic. And so there is something about Maria... That makes her famous, right? I yes, don't, I mean, I don't... we saw her in the practice courts in Cincinnati. She never played a match. She withdrew before the tournament started, mm. but yes. Right, and I think it goes beyond, well beyond her looks. Yeah. You know, because there are a lot of beautiful female tennis players out there, but she has somehow become the most successful. Yeah. So there's something about Maria. She has an X factor for her. <laughs> and I'll, I can see where you're going you with know? this. Um, so, are you talking about the rise of Miss Ross and the Supremes? <laughs> what do you mean? And how she became Oh my the f- god. This didn't even dawn it on didn't me. This is so good. <laughs> oh my god. Thank you. So I'm I'm not sure if everyone knows, but uh, Diana Ross, or Diane, as she was At known the back then, was not always the lead singer of the Supremes. Florence Ballard was mm-hmm. uh, when they were first getting started on Motown. May she rest and, in peace. And so they did record a bunch of singles with Florence as the lead. And they were known for a long time as the no-hit Supremes. And so it took them quite a while, and Barry Gordy did stick it out with them because he thought they could be stars. And they switched up the order, Diana became the lead, and Where Did Our Love Go became their first number one. Um, So there was a lot of rancor, is that what you would say? Yeah. Within the group. You know... uh, there was a lot of drama, a lot of hurt feelings throughout because the 60s. without question, Florence had the stronger voice. Right, and nobody denied that. Barry Gordy didn't deny that, but Diana had the more pop... Crossover appeal. Right, because Motown was trying to be black music for everyone, mm-hmm. you know? So... Maria has the standing as a top baller, endorsement-wise, mm-hmm. celebrity-wise, undeservedly... Same Agreed. as Diana did. Is that where you're going? It is, because Diana Ross, even if you're a big fan, you have to admit... Which I am. Right. Her voice is not is not world class. You oh know? my god. Like, it's not but, a Whitney voice, but No, but this is where its... you wanted me to go with this. This is where you let me, so don't, don't come okay, with that. Okay, but Diana singing is not Maria screeching and hitting awkward shots all over a tennis court. No, I'm not saying that. Like, there's nothing beautiful about Maria, Sh- Sh- Maria Sharapova's game. There is something beautiful about Diana Ross's singing. Okay. You don't see it, fine. No, okay? what I'm saying is that Diana has gone further than maybe her talent allowed. Okay. Yeah, and so I'll that's all I'm that. saying about okay. Maria. Maria is determined as hell. She's a fighter, but, you know, she doesn't have a plan B. She doesn't have a very versatile game. And I, I don't think she has a very natural talent on court. But she's managed to become one of the greats. Mm-hmm. So that that's Is there it. any other facet to this comparison? Well, of course, like the fashion icon status, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Yeah, that's it. There's a lot to unpack there. Okay, okay. What are you going to hit me with first? 
Dinah Ross's voice was not world class. Well, you know that to be true. Okay. It's obtuse. It's an uneducated take. (laughs) It shows your ignorance and general uncultured state of being. I feel like that is really harsh. (laughs) That is way harsh, Ty. This was four years ago. This was shortly before we saw the legendary Miss Ross in concert Mm -hmm. with your parents. Yeah. A lot has changed since then. I have a greater appreciation for the breadth of what talent can mean because Miss Ross's voice is iconic, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Is she an incredible vocalist? Probably not. Is she an important one? Most definitely. And uh, I, I was ignorant because I didn't appreciate the, the vastness of what she can do on a stage. Okay. Uh, you um, you've so you don't you've had some come to Jesus moment. That's that I'm really not interested in having this conversation with you again for like the fifteenth well, time. You hit me that hard. I had to come back. I did not know that I was going to be running into that. I hadn't listened to this. You were there in five years. But the the comparison I still think is apt. It was better than I thought for it was going to be. Yes, these comparisons are not perfect. Right, no. none of them were. And this is taken out of the context of the mm-hmm. episode as a whole. I think this clip was a, a great example of how well we work together in that you presented this idea and I led you, the horse, to the water yeah, to drink. that's what I noticed. That mm-hmm. we riff off each other, that you took me in this direction, but that I could I picked up the thread. Because I was sitting here listening to it and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm waiting to hear Florence Ballard's name. I'm like, uh, what's going on? And then... I did that same thing to you back then, five years, mm-hmm. on air. Because mm-hmm. you said you weren't even thinking in that way. Right. I like, though, n- not to toot our own horn here, but it's something about the show that I have really enjoyed. One of the reasons that I want to keep coming back and doing this podcast is that we get to play around with all of our different interests. And this is one. You know, we happen to have read a few books and listened to Motown all our lives and have this interest outside of tennis and the ability to bring it into a tennis podcast is such a gift sure i'm not gonna toot further (laughs) no that's it it's i'm not saying that we're good at it i'm just saying that that's why i like doing this show and i hope that it's interesting this next bit you don't have a clip but you wanted to say something about miss sloan stevens right it's funny because on the same episode we had a a little section about the (laughs) non-diva it was so mean and I classed people like Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift as kind of the non-divas. It wasn't about dissing WTA players. It was about making sure that there was a distinct hierarchy for the existing music divas. Right. You couldn't be having Mariah, Celine, Whitney, Aretha in the same category as Ariana and all these mm-hmm. other folks. And to be fair, this is before Sloane Stevens was a Grand Slam winner, but... I said that since Mariah is Serena, then it would make sense to make Ariana Sloan because they're they're not direct pretenders, but they're seen as sort of protégés and they're rather complicated relationships between the original and the newcomer. And at that time, Serena and Sloan had this almost animosity between them. 
the whole I made you thing. Right. But a lot of the mainstream media wanted to see Sloane as a protege or the next coming of Serena, when that was clearly not the case. And when we recorded this episode, I actually said, I don't understand Ariana Grande. Like, I just didn't get it. And clearly a lot has changed in her career because while not a huge fan now, I am most definitely an appreciator. You more so than I? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there are, are better singers in her generation. Just this past week, I commented to you that JoJo has so much more talent than Ariana Grande. Oh, absolutely. So much more raw talent. I think I find Ariana to be kind of a lazy vocalist. I don't think she supports her higher register a lot. Her diction is bad, but she's a great pop star. Cannot deny that at all. And she is very talented. I think she could be better. When we were planning this episode, we solicited responses from you, the listeners on Twitter, asking you what were some of the things listening to the show over the, over the years that have stuck out to you most about us and the body serve. Like, what are some of the segments that you remember? What are, what are some of the things that we've said that you remembered? And we've taken some of those and gone back to them specifically. And one of them comes next. We know that y'all enjoy the dramatic readings. It's one of the later additions to our repertoire, but it's something that you seem to really enjoy. And one that was brought to our attention specifically was the Sarah Irani letter to Santa dramatic reading. And we're going we're gonna to play that for y'all now. Christmas is coming up and you might want to think about the letter that you'll be writing to Santa because Sarah Irani certainly has opinions on that. <laughs> you may have seen Sarah Irani out here serving underhand at a challenger recently. As you know, her serve has been a mess. She served like double digit, double faults a bunch of times. And honestly, I feel for her. Clearly something is going on. It's not just double digits. It's like approaching triple digits. Stop. No, it's, it's really not. bad. That's an exaggeration. No, it's like, it's historically bad. It It is fairly shocking. However, she just played a tournament in Paraguay. She reached the final. It was a great week for her. And she served underhand the entire week. Be- and it's effective. It's not like a little puffball underhand. She she does try to do something with it, if you've seen the video. Mm-hmm. Point is, Sarah had had enough. And if you if you haven't detected yet, this is a dramatic reading. You We are about to give you a dramatic reading. Because Sarah took to social media and, and let us know her thoughts. How do you want to do this? Do you want me to read it in English and then you read it in Italian? <laughs> well, I'm not going to... So... Italian is much, much more wordy than English, so it's a lot longer. I'm not going to read the whole thing in Italian. Just a, a few, a few parts. Mm-hmm. She says, Ciao ragazzi, volevo condividere con voi un pensiero, which means I want to share with you a thought. Now get ready. I've just finished my tournament in Asuncion, Paraguay, where I lost in the final. It has been a quite pleasant week on personal side, and a quite tough one tennis-wise. As you know, since when I started again playing tennis in February, after the Tortellini incident... That was a parenthetical addition. I don't know what you're talking about. I had a lot of problems with my serve, and here in Paraguay, I decided with my team to serve underarm all week long. I realize now that during this week, I received not a single critic or complaint from people here, and I've been encouraged and applauded for my resilience and for my desire to find a solution. Even on social network, 
where it is always easier. No one from Paraguay sent me anything bad, only positive messages. So all y'all from all other countries in the world, y'all ain't shit. <laughs> Instead, in Italy, I keep being insulted by a lot of people regarding mainly my surf. I think I definitely thought too much in the last few years about your comments, insults, and opinions, and now I cannot anymore. If I'm not able to serve again like normal players do, maybe I will just serve underarm. If I'm not able to even serve underarm, I'll think about something else. If it's not okay with you, send a letter to the WTA asking to change the rules about serve or ask them to disqualify me for quote-unquote awful serve. If instead you just have other problems with me, send a letter to Santa. Se invece avete altri problemi o richieste particolari, mandate pure una letterina a Babbo Natale. Ciao, ciao. Send a letter to Santa. <laughs> if you got a problem with my underarm serve, take it up with the WTA. Let them ban it. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. Or if you must get it out, write a letter to Santa. This is so good. It is so entertaining because the Italian is very heightened. It is very formal. You can tell she's serious the way she's written it. It's not written in social media speak. She's done with it. She's going to serve underarm. If she can't do that anymore, she's going to, I don't know, she's going to throw it over the net or something. But she's still out here. I will correct you on one point. That Correct me? Yeah, the dramatic reading actually debuted as early as 2016. We did a few with Venus Williams press conferences and uh, a few Serena quotes from the Serena documentary. And let me tell you, the segment has improved dramatically since then. Hashtag it gets better. Why? Was it bad? Yeah, it just wasn't particularly well done. Honestly, I don't understand why people love it so much. It's fun. Sure. We have, we have a lot of fun doing it. But when I listen back to it, I was, I just don't enjoy it as much. Okay. I guess maybe we should try accents from now on. Maybe. <laughs> This next segment is hearkening back to 2016, where we did, in honor of the Olympic Games that year, a segment called Thirst Trap Olympics. The first episode that we did that, that kind of objectified the, men, the male tennis players, I was considering using that one, but mm, 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 not the best look. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, if anybody gets to do it, we get to do it, but still. I feel that we have evolved considerably since then, at least publicly. Yeah, we've found more creative ways to do it. And so this segment, Thirst Trap Olympics, we awarded gold, silver, bronze, and you tried hard. Fourth place award to these four gentlemen who were doing the most mm. to get tongues wagging on social media. Okay, I haven't listened to this in years, so... Okay, so you don't know what's coming. No. Who are the four, do you think? That I picked? Like, so We agreed on both of them. To be clear, a thirst trap is somebody who is kind of doing the most to generate attention. Sexual attention on so, social media. So Rawat Farah is absolutely a thirst trap. Right. So who, who do you think I picked then? No, not you. We agreed oh. on it. We awarded these medals jointly. 
Oh, so the... we agreed on these four winners back in 2016. Oh. Well, at the time, it was definitely Verdasco, probably Feliciano, maybe maybe Rafa, and um, I don't know. Pick a fourth. Oh, that was so long ago. I don't know. Pick a fourth. Songa. Okay, you got one of the four, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah, we do have an updated Thirst Trap mm-hmm. ranking. And to be clear, this is not a ranking of who is the hottest, but which male player needs your thirst the most. Because by definition, Thirst Trap, when somebody's a Thirst Trap, they are reeling you in with their thoughtdom. Yeah, exactly. You know, they want the attention. Who is needing your thirst the most? <laughs> so, number three... Well, we're doing this Olympic style. We're going to do this on oh, the last oh, episode, okay. but we, we left it for this one. We're giving out gold, silver, and bronze medals. And I'll start with an honorable mention. So, like, the the bronze medal match, but yes, the loser... the fourth and the, place. Yeah. And it really was a blowout, but Grigor Dimitrov, he came fourth. Okay. You know, he tries to stay classy, give you gives you nice lighting, artful shots... Lots of yeah, torsos. He's trying to like stay out here being cute and everything. Right. He's he's not willing to go that extra mile to get you really get your tongue wagging. Right. Not you know? yet. Not yet. He hasn't upped his thirst trap game to warrant a medal. It's cute. Mm-hmm. So he lost in the bronze medal match to Spain's Fernando Berlazco. And it was a huge upset that Fernando didn't go on to the gold medal match i know but there were just a few more thoughtful players one in particular see fernando thought that by him releasing that instagram photo of him saying look at my forehand Mm -hmm. and he's showing you everything from behind in those blue shorts he thought that that would have gotten the job done right right and you know in most years it would have in 2004, those Athens Olympics, easily. <laughs> <laughs> those Olympics were a write-off. Anybody could have shown up and gotten the job done. <laughs> Masu, like, take that gold medal. Mm. But then, just this week, Pico Monaco came and just snatched every damn strand of hair off his head. Because he said, yeah. I saw your photo and I'm going to give you a video. And in that video, I'm going to wear blue shorts. I'm going to show you my forehand from the right side. and i'm gonna give you slow-mo multiple shot butt jiggling forehands in this video yeah like what is that i don't know like he was literally one step away from doing a headstand and twerking (laughs) like it was basically the same thing it was so unsporting for (laughs) unsporting It was so unfair, you right. know, for someone with so many God-given physical gifts to just flaunt them that way. I mean, Fernando was coasting, really. He he took it for granted. Yeah. He thought he had that gold medal all sewn up, and Pico just came and just crushed him. Yeah, and but Pico's also serving you looks, like, on the street, look at my cute street clothes, my jeans and t-shirt. Like, you know, he knows that he can make anything look good. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention our silver medalist, Stan Warinka. Yeah, who has upped his game immeasurably in, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Talking about, oh, hey, I'm in New York City, just came out of the sauna. Like, look at my 15 abs. Right. 
I mean, maybe some points deducted for being a tryhard. But, I mean, then we'd have to demote Verdasco. Who, like, who's a bigger tryhard? The obvious try. I mean, the, I, if you've made it to the podium of the thirst trap, you are trying. Well, that's So you true. can't fault somebody for that. Right. Some people just make it look natural. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Rafael Nadal is a thirst trap, too, because he's doing all these underwear ads, like, yeah. you know, we shouldn't exclude him from the running. He's done a second round of underwear right. ads. Like, he did the Armani stuff, and now he's doing Tommy. Mm-hmm. And that wink-wink drop towel thing, like... Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's not morally he's superior. Play- no, no, he's being playful with it. <laughs> Look back at it. <laughs> right? <laughs> but we're talking about the most recent Olympic yes. round. Of thirstiness. Yeah, so Stan, uh, there was a picture of him in the pool, you know, showing off all of his abs. There was a picture of him after his practice, just just strewn all over his chair, totally fatigued, but still artistically posed, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's it. One Monaco, gold medal by a country mile. Stan Wawrinka, silver medal, tried his damnedest, never <laughs> had a chance, and then... Fernando Verdasco rested on his laurels. That's the cautionary tale of thirst trapping. <laughs> it was a different time, but not a very different time. No. We're about to award the current thirst trap Olympians, and you just sneaked a peek I at didn't, my I didn't see it. agenda. You didn't see it? No. Okay. So you go first before... Let, well, let's award the Grigor Dimitrov fourth place spot. Because it's, it's, oh, it's for that person... Wait, you're still putting him in fourth? No, it's his oh. award. No, it's in his oh, name. Oh, his honorary. Because it's the person who will still give you stuff in a playful, cute way, but is not doing too much. Right? By, like I said in that clip, the thirst trapping Olympics necessarily means that you have to be trying too hard. Right. And so right. somebody like Borna Chorich doesn't try too hard, but it's still, you know, mm-hmm. actually, there's yeah. still a lot in offer, just like Grigor did back in 2016. I was going to pick... Uh, either Borna or Dominic team as the the bronze medal match loser. Mm-hmm. See, for me, Dominic doesn't always know what he's doing with those things. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of jockish. By default, you get some skin and stuff. Oh, okay. you know, okay. Whereas you know, Borna definitely knows what he's doing. For me, third place goes to Fernando Verdasco again. He just has competition from players that he can't overcome. He just he just can't. He's there's no shame in being a bronze medalist perennially or every four years. Merlin Nati can attest to that. There is no shame. Mm-hmm. Silver medalist. I mean, but what what can he do? He's he's out here flipping monster truck tires, he's pulling vans, doing CrossFit, taking spread eagle shots of his thighs. Like what what more can he do, Jonathan? Perhaps it's just a matter of it just not being for me. Perhaps. Fair enough. That said, the folks who I've picked ahead of him, nobody, nobody has tried harder than Stan Wawrinka in the last four years. He tried for that gold medal. He really did. Uh, He went through a lull of a couple of years when he had Donna by his side. But once that ended, man, did he wheel and come again tenfold. Because in the last year... Stan Wawrinka has been upping his ante. It was hot girl summer, hot girl fall, winter, spring, summer, fall. All you got to do is call Stan. Hot girl corona now. It's like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. 
and the gold medalist for the sole reason that despite his provisional drug suspension, Robert Farah was still out here thirst trapping. He's like, if I have to give up these tennis balls and tennis rackets, I'm going to have a second career to fall back on. Like he was not letting that shit slide. So assured of his innocence was he that he kept up the social media game because there was no shame in his game. For me, gold, Farah, silver, Vavrinka, bronze, Verdasco, Grigor Dimitrov award, Chorich. So my bronze is Grigor Dimitrov has really moved up because he has gotten a little more shameless in showing skin when it's not necessary. He knows that hairline is only going to hold on for so much longer, so he is using That is it. so rude, but accurate. It is very rude. And Grigor is, I, I mean... You know I love the guy. I think he comes off as a really sweet guy. And he's a very handsome gentleman. So I mean no harm by it. Silver medal, Robert Farah. Gold medal, Stan Wawrinka. Because the devil works hard, but Stan Wawrinka works harder. <laughs> he's He is not a spring chicken. And I don't know if he has a young publicist or whatever, but like he is working the Instagram thing. And Andy Murray's out here trolling him. The Trollmaster <laughs> Supreme is hard at work right now. We haven't done this in at least two years, maybe two and a half years, but I am bringing back the hashtag Name the Tennis Player segment. If you go on Twitter and search that hashtag Name the Tennis Player, you'll see so much content that could that could really entertain you in this time of no tennis, frankly. It started as this thing where I'd give five clues. And then you'd had to guess the tennis player. And then once we started to going to tournaments and getting pictures, I would take pictures and blur out parts of it so that you had to guess who the tennis player was. Mm. One of them was a little bit obscene. One of them was like a guess the, the male tennis player based on the butt. <laughs> There's all different variations of this segment on Twitter. So please check that out. On the butt? Really? Yeah. You did that? I did. I was a little bit surprised. Mm, King of Thotland. But this was this was back in the day, you know, when I was younger. So you're gonna you don't know what these clues are. So no. I'm gonna give five one word clues, and you have to guess who it is. Mm-hmm. Don't be writing them down. I'm not. Uh, my memory is not okay. that bad. The five words: aquatic, frosty, air, as in H E I R, cheeky, and gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know this one. You do? Yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna let everyone mull it over. But after the episode is done, I'm gonna ask you if I'm right. Is that how we're gonna do it? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to reveal it now. Let them think about it, and you know. So the we'll five, the five clues again: aquatic, frosty, air, cheeky, and gold. Mm-hmm. All right, and finally, long promised, we have a set of bloopers to give you which I think gives you a perspective into us that you don't normally get because this is the uncensored version. I apologize in advance for my language because it really is mostly me swearing and having tantrums. <laughs> I've already said several rosaries. I've thought about it. I've meditated on it. And I, I am determined to be better in the future. It's really not that deep. You're just a little bit ashamed and embarrassed. That's it. Right. This first one, I have had so much trouble with this person's name. Alison van Oitvank. In Budapest, Alison van Oitvank. 
I cannot fucking say her name. You just say it. Elsewhere in Budapest, Alison van Eitvank, she defended her title, this time beating Vondrasova. The great irony here is that I helped you out there, but then I then mispronounced Vondrasova. We were not at that time correctly pronouncing Marketa's last name. No, we weren't quite there yet. I love this next one. You have this long-standing issue with being able to tell lefties and righties apart. Mm. It's a spatial reasoning problem. But this one, this one is exceptional. <laughs> so you learn something new every day. All right. She's currently ranked in the 50s, and uh, she's a lefty, just like Prejnish. And Kiki Burton's. Mm-hmm. No, Kiki Burton's is right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay, delete that. That's going to be a blooper. <laughs> you do this all the I time. I never know who the fuck is left-handed How do you or not? not know who's right or left-handed? I'm not paying attention. But you wa- you've you watched Kiki Burton's in person. I can't remember. That's embarrassing. I know that Petra Kvitova is a lefty. Whoopty fucking do. And that do. Karolina Pliskova is not. Hmm. But her sister is. But I couldn't remember that. I like how you drop it at the end that you know that Karolina Pliskova is a righty mm. and her sister is a lefty. Like, you always knew Well, that. it took me a while to get there, so I'm proud. It's inexplicable, your difficulty with this. Mm. And the fact... I hadn't listened to this blooper in a while. And when I listened to it again for the first time, hearing you drop Burton's name as a lefty as if it's knowledge took me out. It took me all the way out. <laughs> <laughs> it is... It's important... To laugh at yourself, which I'm able to do. I'm going to play one more with a little bit of setup. Mm. It's a very recent one. Very recent that one. You, you really backed me into. I did not make anything go in or out of your mouth. Oh. <laughs> play the tape. Let me just say this. You know what? Hmm. Sonia Kennan, she's got spunk. And, and I you hate, hate spunk. spunk. <laughs> I, I told you I had a joke for you on this episode, oh. and that was it. And you got it. I, I'm so pleased oh my God. that you caught it right away. I, th- I hope some of the older listeners of The Body Serve will pick up on that reference. But It's iconic. To be clear, I actually, I love... Oh, God. Say it, say it, say it. Say it, say it. <laughs> say it. No, say it. Just say it. To be, to be clear, I love Spunk. Which is ah, disgusting. Wow. <laughs> this um, was not where this was no, supposed you didn't, to go. No, you didn't really think that through very well. I didn't expect you to do all that, as per usual. Well. You like how I get really quiet, like I start whispering on the tape so nobody can hear me? <laughs> when we can easily just cut these things out? And I thought we had cut it, but you saved these things I to certainly saved embarrass that one. me with later certainly save that one we have a couple more we're going to play them back to back without any conversation with a little bit of a what do you call it a a backing track a blooper track to the blooper Mm. reel yeah she says everyone out there still she said you know everyone out there is still skeptical what she says everyone out there is still skeptical skeptical she says, you know, everyone out there is still skeptical. <laughs> oh my god. This could be a blooper. But she does get, like, the conservative one-two punch of saying something really heinous, and then after getting a lot of... And then after getting a lot of, um... 
pushback. Fucking word. After getting a lot of pushback, a premier mandatory title, a premier. What the fuck? But yeah, premier mandatory, right? Different song. I know. Natalie Tozel, Not For Nothing, was not known as Miss Congeniality. Girl. In the locker room. And we'll get to another Monica Sellis theme in a bit, but Monica rips her apart in her autobiography, as much as Monica does anyone, really. She accused Toziot of using any means necessary. Toziot. Toziot. It's French. Okay. How do you, you don't speak French? I watched her. Okay. Well, you didn't put where the fuck it was. <laughs> I would have hoped by now, five years in, that we would have had more bloopers to share with you. That's pretty much it. That's the vault. That's the blooper vault. Mm. I promise to save more of them. Frankly. A lot of them are just not funny. Yeah, and a lot of them we just forgot to save, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So. You're going to reveal the answer name to. Name the tennis player. Dominic Team. Correct. Can you say what each clue is about mm-hmm. so air obviously like the uh the clay court air yes. clay prince um frosty frosted tips yes that's actually what would gave it away really that was the second word right yes uh what else was there aquatic i don't oh penguins penguins oh that didn't Come click on. until now okay what are the other words cheeky cheek well obviously yeah come cheeky. on yeah and gold gold um, the answer to that was mentioned in this episode earlier i don't know if you picked up his, on it. his golden locks nope no I, I don't know that one we talked about the olympics right but he didn't who win is, a gold who was his coach nicholas masu double gold medalist from oh, 2004 wow okay that's a little indirect that takes some thinking the trouble with I this i think i think a lot of people will get frosty you see that's the thing yeah. with this like I think that certain things are way obvious. I had peachy instead of mm. cheeky before. Mm-mm. And it's always just one thing that ends up being the giveaway, but it's yeah. almost always in conjunction with everything else. But then if you don't have that one clue, it becomes too difficult for people. And then right. you look like an asshole. Or it's just not fun. Yeah. So we hope that this episode was a bit of a respite for you. It was uh, enjoyable that you had a few laughs because... Honestly, we are all in need of a laugh or two right now. Yeah, so go easy on yourself over the next few weeks. Take some time. Plan out some fun activities you can do with yourself or your family. Just chill. One thing that is helping me personally is to fight the the impulse to be productive all the time. Because you see a lot of people on social media saying, start a business, uh, write a book. Like, no, just... Leave me alone. Just people do not want to be stuck up in the house. Let them do what they want. It also helps when you have an amazing partner to take such great care of you. Make sure that stuff is in the house. That's very true. Very true. It's it's very important. It's critical. Jonathan has been to the store for like the past six or seven days. So he doesn't have to be one of those crazy hoarders buying 25 packs of toilet paper. Not that that's an option. But very responsible purchasing. But I feel like we are going to make it through. Also, maybe this episode will be an impetus for some folks to go back and listen to the catalog of the Body Serve. A little bit of a selfish plug there, but if not now, then when? Right. While you're bumping the Mariah or Usher back catalog on Spotify, you can find us in the same place. 
Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm Jonathan, naturally, of course. And I'm James at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. We are at The Body Serve on both Twitter and Instagram. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Do you know what else is a good use of downtime? Hmm. Writing us a review on iTunes. That's selfish. That, that may have been a bit too much, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm still going to leave it in. <laughs> Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>